This is Kevin, host of Shared Secrets and founder of RTX Security, a consulting firm focused on application security and CISO advisory. Dennis is off this week, so I recruited online payments provider Razorpay software security expert Sandesh Anand, who has a fantastic blog named Boring AppSec. Together, we dive deep on application security champions. If you have a topic or question you'd like to hear more about on a future episode, please comment in your podcast app. And while you're at it, be generous with those rates. Sandesh, my friend, how are you? I am good. How are you, Kevin? I'm good, but it's it's been way too long. We met in 2014 when I came to Sigital, and you were uh, already a, a senior consultant crushing uh, pen tests and, and secure code review at, at Sigital. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Um, I was probably already at Sigital for a few years by then, for about three years. And I yep. just made an interesting move from um, from our DC office to our Bangalore office. Well, I mean, you've done so much since then. I mean, we worked even, uh, you know, for, for years after that, we we mm-hmm. worked together in kind of that uh, software security uh, management consulting, or I like to kind of call it industrial engineering for, for secure development. But um, you were a significant contributor to the BSIM project. Uh, you were a, a, a BSIM assessor. And, and I also will uh, give you a little shout out. I believe we got your... Uh, responsible disclosure activity. And I think that that was one that uh, you had been championing for a couple of years and, and we got into BSIM 12 when we, when we released that. So I, I didn't, I didn't note, I didn't notice that it got into the BSIM 12, but um, yeah, I, I didn't give myself credit for that. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm keeping track of everybody's credit, but how have you been doing? What have you been doing? Um, I, I, I definitely want to, to point some people at this awesome blog you've been working on for a, a little bit over a year now, but, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. what are you up to? Yeah. So, you know, my day job is I, I, I manage the security team at Razorpay. Um, Razorpay is, 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 you know, is a, a large fintech company in India. Um, you know, we build payment gateways, gateways and neo banking and, and all the fun stuff. Right. So, so the day job is, is, you know, managing a really complex security environment for a fintech company. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, um, the blog that you spoke about, which is boring AppSec, um, it, it's, 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 it's essentially a Substack newsletter, um, that came about over a year ago. It, it was a pandemic project, like many other projects, um, which essentially was that I really enjoyed writing, uh, my consulting background meant I wrote a ton of reports then, which I don't do much of today. Uh, but I also felt like, you know, when I moved from consulting to kind of product security and other aspects of security. Um, that there are so many aspects of AppSec that we don't talk about. A lot of the chatter around AppSec is kind of limited to things like new CVEs, new vulnerabilities, bug bounty stuff, pen testing, which are all great, by the way. Nothing wrong with that, right? Tooling and so on. Those are all great topics to talk about. But, um, you know, as as you know very well, when you work back together in Sigital, um, even building a program is so much more than buying a tool or hiring people or finding bucks, right? And and everybody knows this, by the way. This is not news to anyone who's in AppSec. But they, I, I felt like there wasn't enough chatter around that. And I thought this could be a cool project to write on. I enjoy writing. Um, I sometimes feel like if I don't write something down, then I don't know what I'm thinking about it, right? So it ha- helps build clarity in me as well, right? So that was kind of the, um, the initial push to write the blog. And I... I I pushed it for really long, um, mostly because I was very worried that I'll say something wrong on the blog, right? And then I'm going to be called out <laughs> as the guy who doesn't know anything in AppSec. Um, but then I kind of, you know, found this framework somewhere which really helped me, which basically said, hey, a lot of a lot of advice that you give people or a lot of opinion that you 
give the right way to consume it is is as a compass and not a gps right so yeah. so the goal of the blog is to write something about a topic and then if it makes people go hmm that's interesting and then they can apply it to their program either agree with it or disagree with it but if it sparks some thoughts about that topic then it's achieved its goal right so that's it how i think about it and once i got the framework it became simple to kind of write up, write about more um i write on and off uh, i try to keep cadence but it doesn't work out always but yeah uh, that's that's kind of the the origin story of the blog it's incredibly good content you are uh, an amazing writer and i'll share a little story i had i had ramped up a uh, a new job leading a, a product security program and mm-hmm. i had uh you know a, a brilliant uh appsec uh, resource, you know, deep, you know, um, com- you know, software security knowledge in terms of executing, um, you know, secure code review, penetration testing. He actually uh, showed me an article before I even knew that you had written it and said, hey, you know, you tried to uh, explain this, but this seems like what you were talking about and is a much better explanation of it. And I read the article and I'm like, absolutely you are. And then I saw it was you and I'm like, oh, I know why, why uh, like we, we have some, uh, some common ground because you and I got to talk about a lot of this stuff a lot over the years. So um, just yeah. really, really cool stuff. So that's Boring AppSec. You can Google it, boringappsec.substack.com. Um, but um, one article that I wanted to maybe use this podcast to kind of uh, add a di- little additional content and have a really good conversation about was the one that you posted at the end of January, which was uh, uh, edition 15, is your champions program running out of steam? And Mm. this one really struck a chord because not only have I told people to go out and build a ton of champions program, I have seen and been at a place at at a lot of places that had uh, maybe floundering champions program, which is, uh, which is a a big chunk of kind of what you point out. And I myself have, uh, somewhat failed to start successful champion programs too. So I'm kind of the ultimate uh, a, a person who who really wants to uh, try to get this right. And when we say champions programs, what are what are we really talking about here? Do you want to tackle that one? Yeah. Uh, look, I, I mean, th- there are plenty of really good resources everywhere on you know what a champions program is, etc. So I'll try and summarize it. Uh, but I just want to say that you know th- there's a lot of really good literature out there, which which I enjoyed reading when I started a champions program at Razorpay as well. Um, but the way I look at it is, is pretty simple, right? Um, security champions are force multipliers, right? Um, AppSec is one of those things where, so let's take a step back, right? There, there are a lot of things we do in security. Um, some things, a majority of the action needs to be done by the security team, right? Um, think about, um, um, you know, if you want to install endpoint um, detection software or think about, you know, security incident response where a bulk of the work needs to be done by the security team and they need support. Mm-hmm. From other functions, right? They need a little bit of support. Um, to me, AppSec is a little different. In AppSec, I think what essentially you need to do uh, if you're successful uh, is you need to build um, infrastructure and frameworks and thought processes and actual processes around security and allow engineers, developers to kind of do the right thing, right? Um, and 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 that requires a different kind of communication with your stakeholders. Right. So that's kind of the, the premise of it. Right. Um, and an, an, another way of looking at it, um, you know, the, the economic, I know you're interested in economics like I am. So another way of looking <laughs> at it 
is, you know, your SaaS tools and your SEA tools and your threat modeling methodologies and your pen tests are the supply side of your application security program, right? Um, your champions program is what helps build the demand side, right? Because if you don't, I mean, you know, everybody talks about security culture, uh, right? It's such a fuzzy term. It's really hard to kind of um, define. But the way I look at it is that if I do security speak to a developer and they get it, Right then, I would say you know security is a bit of a first class citizen, right? Um, like a, like a classic example is how you responded to Log4j tells you what your security culture looks like in your company, right? How quickly were you able to convince people this is really important and it's not fud uh, because there's a lot of fud in security and how you were able to communicate it and how you were able to respond will tell you a lot about the culture in your company, right? Um, so anyway, long winded answer, but 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 to summarize it. It's a force multiplier for your security team because AppSec cannot scale infinitely with just security engineers. Why do we need those champions and what they're going to, what are they going to do for the organization in that role? Right. So maybe we could bounce off a couple of ideas. If, if you got some, I'll, I'll kind of start. But one of the things that you mentioned is like those key capabilities that often maybe revolve around our tools, like static analysis or dynamic testing, but driving that tool adoption within the org that falls force i think that's the, maybe a great example of what you're talking about force multipliers because you know mm-hmm. it's going to be a nightmare for six security engineers to onboard you know 150 applications and set up all the auth workflows when they don't know how it authenticates or maybe the build process for static analysis is is really comp- uh, c- complicated and takes uh, uh, so you're empowering the people that know how to build that software know how to you know authenticate to that software you're giving them enough about the tools in order to expand the reach of your your software security capabilities I, I think the tool yeah i i think the tool adoption thing is is, is perfect right it, it's a great it's a great use case and and another aspect of it i mean there's obviously the configuration onboarding 250 apps for example that's uh, that's valid but i think another more fundamental point is every time you introduce a security tool at least initially, you're adding friction, right? Um, now, there's a possibility that the friction goes away after some time, but there's also a possibility it never does, right? So you need to sell the idea of why this is important and why this helps you in the long term, uh, right, to your engineers. And honestly, um, who better to convince developers than other developers, right? So instead of trying to do, uh, if, you, if you have a large, a medium or a large size organization, instead of trying to convince the entire engineering community, you convince your champions. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're more often they're not self-selected or at least they have an incentive to participate in the program. You have to give them incentives. And once they have the incentive, they learn about it. And let's say we can convince them, we can genuinely answer their concerns, then it's so much easier for them to convince their peers than for the, you know, for the pesky security person to come and board them with another tool, right? So I think, I think from that perspective, I think tool adoption becomes a whole lot simpler when you have champions who are on board. Yeah. And by the way, there's there's a lot of added value outside of security that some of these tools mm. offer, right? Like, you know, we're providing a static, maybe we're providing a static analysis technology and, yeah. you know, security is only one class of, of uses yeah. that, that they, they should leverage. So so we, we, we kind of started using SEMgrep a while ago, uh, love the tool, right? And, you know, we taught many champions how to write rules. And then, and then we kind of initially kept it very open, saying anybody can write any rule and check it in, just so that people write a rule. I, I, we knew it would kind of get out of hand, and then we can control it. But we wanted people to kind of experience rule writing and applying it to their application. You're trying to get them hooked. This is uh, this exactly. is drug right. behavior, my friend. <laughs> well, again, the the economics of every industry is kind of the same, right? It's just <laughs> what you use it for. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so so 
uh, when that happened, um, you know, there was this there was this one of a month or so of like a massive spike in the number of custom rules we wrote. And you're wondering what the hell was going on because we didn't write any rules. And we knew not everybody cared that much about security <laughs> that they start writing rules so often, right? And then what we saw was um, there was like an automation QA team which wrote a bunch of rules because they felt like, you know, static analysis rules is easier to do some kind of QA than what their QA suite had, right? It was a little more powerful. A lot of things were already figured out. And they actually used it for quality stuff. And we were like, this is pretty, this is pretty impressive, right? Uh, that was not the use case for static analysis, but they used it nonetheless. So yeah, so what you said is absolutely right. Okay. I've got one, probably uh, the, the most selfish one coming from like the, you know, software security group owner side or the AppSec or mm. product security side is we want these, uh, we want these stupid bugs to get fixed faster. <laughs> So yeah. I think that part of the champion uh, use case is to really help ensure kind of those like service level objectives or service level agreements or, you know, yeah. whatever the bug bar and, and timing is to kind of be a, um, a moderator or kind of responsible person interface for security to go out and see what's holding up those fixes that we need. Yeah, no, this is a really good one. And, and and this is a really good one for two reasons. One, yes, it kind of improves, um, you know, um, mean time to remediation or whatever metric you're tracking to kind of think about SLA, SLAs or MTTR or whatever you're, you're you know, however you're tracking it. But mm -hmm. there's another um, kind of side advantage of this uh, objective, right? And that is that, you know, often engineering leadership mm, feel very, they're not always comfortable with security champions program because some of these objectives are very kind of um, fuzzy, right? Um, so for instance, saying we'll improve security culture is kind of fuzzy. Tool adoption is a little more measurable, but even then tool adoption is a bit of an input metric, right? I mean, you're using a tool, that's all you're doing, right? But um, increasing adherence to SLA is a very, very tangible outcome, right? And 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 this is, this is one outcome which usually engineering leaders are, to, I mean, uh, to use a slightly incorrect term, beaten down upon. Right. If you don't meet your SLAs, then you're you're kind of like, hey, you know, you, you're asked questions in, in leadership meetings, etc. It's probably the most off, the most often seen stick and not just exactly. in software security, but security as a whole. If if you've got a system, un, an unpatched system, the clock starts ticking, right? And we're gonna get we're gonna get matter and matter until that thing is fixed. Exactly. And if you want to sell security champions to your leadership, and then you basically sell that as saying, hey, um, this helps improve your SLA adherence. And when you improve your SLA adherence, your review meetings are simpler, right? I mean, that is the simplest way to convince leadership, right? Um, is that the sole objective of um, uh, Champions Program? No, but it's a very important objective. I mean, SLAs to remediation, I mean, SLAs are really important. Um, and uh, this has the added advantage of convincing stakeholders that you really care about. Is opening that dialogue so that mm. when the same types of frustrating bugs and the whack-a-mole comes up, Right. Having somebody to partner with the security organization to say, hey, maybe there's a framework solution here. Yeah. Or maybe this is a good case for additional, you know, static analysis rules that, to prevent these rules or these these types of issues from manifesting or just that, you know, I, I always call it escape analysis to say, hmm. how did this thing come to originate and how do we evolve our development process to prevent that from from starting in the first place? Because if you start triaging bugs, you know that in that systematic 
way in order to address these systemic issues, the game of mm-hmm. whack-a-mole gets a lot more healthy, right? Um, where, where we're kind of generalizing and, and uh, the security program, I think, really steps up uh, you know, much quicker in that kind of dev, DevOps world of we're going to make an institutional improvement here. Let's remove our security hat and let's think of it from an engineer perspective, right? You're a developer or you're a leader in development. Why would you want to be part of the security engineering group? Um, right. So what I found um, is that um, a lot of developers like to do the 70, 20, 10 thing or 80, 20 thing or however you call it, where they want to you know, do the usual development, but they want to pick up one other area of software engineering. Right. Some of them really like getting into infrastructure. Some of them really like into design. Some of them like getting into different things. Right. And security is one thing. Right. Um, many engineers find it, many developers especially find it hard to differentiate themselves in the market. Right, and and this is a really good differentiator if you've learned security, and and the reason I, it, this kind of ties into the previous point you made um, is, is an example I wanted to give you is when we had these um, you know insecure use of crypto uh, vulnerabilities ha- happening all around, um, a developer went ahead and wrote a library uh, and made it very very easy for everybody in the company to consume because he knew where developers go to get the common libraries, right. And that's it. And that was a much more elegant solution than tracking findings in Jira every time and coming up with SLAs and using the stick to beat down people. He just made it very, very simple to not make the mistake in the first place. Right. So I think um, developers sometimes instinctively think about the same problems differently. And, and that's interesting for them and useful for us. So from an engineer's perspective, I think there's like a upskilling aspect to it. There's a working on a cool project aspect to it. Uh, which really helps. We generally have some version of a you know secure life cycle, but the reality is these days mm. very rare that any company has one life cycle. So what it is really kind of some type of overlay, right? You know, if the application meets these criteria of risk, we want to make sure that we're doing you know these this version of security capabilities and kind of writing a prescription for those risk levels and that's kind of a framework that has to be tailored and applied a lot of times on the engineering so i can say and i can provide you you know you mentioned semgrep great tool i can say hey we're going to run semgrep with security rules against everything but there may be uh-huh. a tech stack out there that semgrep's not going to support, right? right? So the static analysis requirement is there and I need a champion who's familiar with the problem and can kind of localize what we're trying to do and solve those things. And, and so it's basically that tailoring the application security program for a specific, you know, especially where we get off of kind of the paved road paths um, of, of tech stacks or things like that. So fitting the secure development lifecycle and, and implementing it um, and contextualizing it for the, for the use cases that, that a particular engineering group has. The only caveat I would add here is that for a security champion to contribute in an area like this, um, they should have spent time, a lot of time being a security champion. This is not a quick win, right? Um, this yeah. is something which will happen after a while, right? Because I think it takes a certain amount of experience to understand why it's important. In there. Look, every developer understands a security bug in fixing it, right? Many de- for many developers, it's, it's, it's a matter of pride to say, hey, my code has bugs, I want to fix it, right? Now, the engineering managers may not think that way because for them, they have other incentives, right? But for developers, they really want to fix bugs because they don't want to have insecure code. That's easy to sell, right? What's harder to sell is kind of saying, hey, you have a, you know, your SDLC needs improvement and here's why doing it earlier in the SDLC is important. And can you help me with your custom SDLC and change that and, and, and you know, uh, add security there? That is a conversation you can have with a, 
a mature security champion right um yeah. so i think it's a really good goal to have but you know i would call it like like you know like a medium term goal right because it's really hard to kind of get out of the you know out of the woods with that so a related point to make here is that you've got to split your objectives into quick wins and things that will happen over time and things which are like really long term objectives which are your long term plays there's always going to be that last mile of feasibility and friction and things like that that we need we actually need engineering to tell us more about and yeah. i think maybe that's the path to maturity as it starts up you know where hey they've been given you know a task or they've been they've been shown what the program looks like and they're not sure how to achieve that program and maybe they start providing and raising some of the obstacles they're facing uh, in that implementation process. And maybe that evolves long-term to that tailoring effort. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm with you 100%. Um, to expand to that, I think um, it definitely helps you provide feedback about the program. Uh, but also, I think if you're a security, product security or application security engineer, and you engage with champions often, you become a better security engineer. Security teams are notorious for adding friction where friction may not be necessary sometimes it's good to get this feedback and kind of fix the issues that come up uh, but also i think it helps you kind of build your next program where you'll probably keep these points in mind even before you build them right so i think it's feedback for the program and feedback for the team and i think this is on the same line of when somebody's been doing this for a long time they've become a security expert in their own right I think that they're also then kind of contextualizing security wisdom, you know, train the trainer. They're mm -hmm. on the lookout within their areas to bring awareness to other d developers, and they probably have a better set of communication tools. They know where to document things. So getting the outreach part of that security out there of, hey, you know, I've been doing this a while. I know what the kind of the top end bugs look like here. So being the kind of the 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 person on the ground of, of that and just kind of being the, the local security expert because, you know, the software security group may not be able to scale. And when they can answer a question, they may not have the right language to answer that question, right? They may be talking mm. about kind of the exploit of the security issue, not so right. much maybe the code construct necessary that's best going to address that. But I think uh, <clears throat> the solutions provided by security champions are, are a lot more well-rounded to the developer, right? So you're right. So I, like I said, right, they'll still say go do output encoding, but they'll probably tell you where to do it. They'll probably tell you there are three different ways of doing output encoding, and you can do it in, as part of a framework. You can do it individually, da, 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 whatever it is, right? Uh, I think they have, a, and, and, and there are some areas of security which are very, very pesky, um, <clears throat> like content security policy, um, where, again, it, it just seems such a, like a, such a simple concept, but implementation is really, really hard. And there are a lot of tough trade-offs, right? And I don't think the security team has the language to have an honest, useful communication with developers. Uh, some yep. security folks may, but it, by and large, we don't. So it's better to kind of you know work with people who really get that. And conversely, the last one in front of me is, is hmm. the proactively raising deeper security risks and bringing in security subject matter experts. So basically being the person that says, hey, actually, this isn't working like we expected it to, or we're not quite sure how to manage this, uh, you know, abuse case or edge case. Mm. We've seen some some risk there and, <clears throat> and reaching out and bringing security people in because, you know, that's the, having that that relationship in place to get the engagement where you need it can be really critical. So we know what we want from security champions. 
Yeah. I guess my next question is how do we find security champions or how do we pick security champions or how do we build this, this, uh, this army? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And, and, you know, I've changed my mind more on (laughs) a lot on this, right? I think initially my thought process always was, um, you know, don't select, let them self-select, you know, we'll pick people in trainings, you know, we'll do developer trainings and we'll see who the most excited was and get them on board and everything. And, and and then practical reality hits it, right? <laughs> right? Because uh, the top ten people who really like, who were really intelligent and who really not intelligent, but who really wanted to be, who were enthusiastic in that security training, but probably also the ones who are very enthusiastic in that design training because they enjoyed, they're, they're just the the top performers, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's um, um, how do you choose security champion is important, um, and 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 we we can walk through some points together if you want. But the caveat I would add before we start talking about it is that it's more important to be practical and get things out of the door uh, than trying to find the perfect champions, right? The perfect champions are made. They're not like, they, they don't come in a box, right? You've got to like yeah. make it happen. I've, 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 I've done a lot of work in my life of, of like personally recruiting, getting people to volunteer through, uh, and, and I made great friends along the way. But, right. um, you know, it doesn't necessarily scale when, when uh, I'm, I'm personally taking people out to lunch and selling them on the idea of why being a security champion is going to be so great. And it ends up being a pretty uh, great networking thing yeah. to have contacts in, in different areas. But I don't know if it's necessarily it just I don't think it builds enough reach of a champions organization. So you just end up with some with some good friends that you can maybe use as kind of the 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 underground champions network, but to, to get the coverage, I think you're right. Uh, there's probably some, uh, pragmatic and, and maybe we're getting into the, uh, do we have to volunteer the first round of champions that they're champions? <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. it's a, it's an organizational effort to designate kind of responsible people around the organization for security champions for the, at least the first round. Yeah, look, it's a tough call, right? I mean, I mean, and, and you're right. Like, I, I would love, I, I love the whole process of, you know, handpicking, hand tossed pizza equivalent of security champions program, right? I love that, right? But maybe sometimes you need the thirty minute pizza version as well. Um, but mm-hmm. a couple of points on what you said. I think um, security culture is downstream of organizational culture. So if your organization does not have a culture of people volunteering to do stuff, but it's a lot more top down where you're assigned work. In that culture, to go and try and recruit volunteers is like swimming against the tide, right? So don't even bother. That's not how it's going to work. And a software engineer has a a minimum level of productivity that's being driven so closely with that, you know, that that project demand. Um, I'm with you, right? I, I think um, to put it simply, I, th- I think we, um, the goals for a security champions program are easy to articulate. How to recruit champions is 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 is, is Kind of like, I mean, I don't know. It's 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 it's, it's kind of like a dating guide or something like that, right? I mean, you can you can give good wisdom, but it's so contextual. It's a lot more contextual than than figuring out why you need to have this program. For that, you can actually come up with outcomes and stuff. Yeah. But here, it's so specific to the organization that you're better off thinking what may work for my company as opposed to thinking what is the right thing to do. And I I don't have a ton of data to say that this is the solution, but I do have a ton of data to say that we haven't tried it enough is to Mm. concretely incentivize 
these kind of champion programs as almost a level of of seniority within your organization, right? Or mm. a um, you know, that's that's like actually a comp or or maybe concretely build it into promotion frameworks as one of the things that you can do, you know, towards you know different job levels. Like if you're coming from senior to staff, maybe one of the pieces of that could be, hey, I, I've become you know a security champion and execute this duty. Um, you know, you know, quite confidently um, that I, you know, if if it becomes a part of those job frameworks and mm-hmm. it, within the engineering world, and it, you know, then there's like tangible, um, you know, levels and things like that associated to compensation that is probably yeah. what we need to evolve to in those in a mature organization. I, I think that's generally how this is going to be most successful. Um, you know, yeah. I, I've seen a couple of places where where that's been that's actually been pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, and to abstract that out, that thought out a little further, it comes down to incentives, right? Like, what's the incentive for an engineer to become a champion, right? Um, the incentive you laid out is a really good incentive, right? Um, to say, hey, mm-hmm. I'll you know, it'll, it'll help you get promoted to the next level, right? Um, another incentive could be if you have a very strong open sourcing culture, uh, we can say that, hey, if we if we write secure by default libraries. Um, if we write anything which is actually generic enough that we can open source it, then we'll open source it and give you credit for it, right? Then you get street credit mm-hmm. for that. Now that's an incentive, right? Um, I, and there are many other ways of doing it, right? So, but but I think you're right. Um, no matter you, you've got to figure out what in your org, um, what kind of incentives work in your organization, and then try and build those incentives, right? And then mm-hmm. and then uh, and then take people along who are responsible for these incentives, right? Some companies are very very HR strong. Right, they have a lot of these um, things like you know whatever pins on your profile and stuff like that, right? Or, or, or HRs have a very good way of incentivizing work in your company. Well, then go partner with your HR. In many organizations, it's very very manager driven, where managers are given all the tools, but nobody interferes with how the implementations are. Then you have no choice but to go evangelize this to managers, right? So I think I think I think it depends on your organization. One side point I'll make um, is that the one counterintuitive thing that I kind of realized over the last couple of years is that engineering managers actually make for really good champions. And I did not think, I, I did not see this coming, right? Um, I think what happens sometimes is that when you only have developers as champions, uh, they are very good about thinking about, um, you know, like bugs and code and libraries and things like that. Uh, but they may not give you the, the feedback loop you spoke about. Uh, that may mm-hmm. not come through in terms of how to improve your program or how to kind of, um, you know, program manage these things really well or how to kind of make security a part of, the development team's planning process, because that's not what developers usually do, right? They just follow what the planning process is. So every now and then it's useful to kind of also recruit a couple of engineering managers as security champions, um, just to get some diversity in the group and get different kinds of ideas. What about keeping the champions organization kind of humming along? One of the things Hmm. I wanted to chat about that you pointed out was like, maybe kind of manage the expectations or you put it kind of very eloquently, uh, you know, the burdens of expectations are, are minimals. I, I think if you're someone who is in, in charge of managing the security champions program, um, you, sh- you should really look at security champions as an OWASP community. Um, the good thing is about a local security meetup is it's usually low pressure unless you're the one presenting that day, um, right? There is a lot of camaraderie that kind of builds up and there's 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 um you know there's there's low um intensity low drama conversations that keep happening about what's the best thing to do and you form great networks right and i think that kind of energy is useful for security champions program 
but it kind of directly conflicts with the whole measurement and improvements and action and those all those things, right? So that's why I said it's it's if you're the owner of a security team, then you probably have to think about those things. But if you're the person in charge of engaging champions, then you rather think of it as a community and engage with them, right? So what does that mean? Like, what does it, it essentially mean to say, hey, you know, think of them as a community? Um, and I write about this a little bit in, in, in the edition you spoke about, right? So the number one thing is show up, right? Most communities die if the organizer of the community doesn't show up, right? So the number one thing you've got to do is show up regularly, right? If you have whatever, like weekly meetings, quarterly meetings, monthly meetings, whatever it is, or you have a Slack channel, right? You've got to show up everywhere, right? If somebody asks a question, you cannot respond four days later, right? You've got to do it quickly. You've got to kind of be the community organizer role, right? So that's one. So just show up regularly, often. Um, Find a way to be more empathetic in your uh, in your interactions, right? You've got to you've got to kind of try to understand what they're going through, what their uh, incentives are, and try to match that. Um, and at least initially, I think there must be a lot more give uh, and a lot less expecting, right? So you need to start with things like understanding what makes it fun and interesting for them, rather than tracking reduction in um, <laughs> improvement improvement in SLA adherence from day one. Uh, maybe spend the first few days, weeks, months doing more trainings or, or helping them understand vulnerabilities, right? You do more talking than they do initially and give more than you expect. And then over a period of time, I think that investment will pay off. And if it's not paying off, then you probably have to, you know, change something. Um, and, and, and finally, um, the one other unintuitive thing that I found was that um, a lot of times security champions and developers may actually have much lesser work experience uh, than the person running the security champions program, right? In which case, it's okay to build a network and just mentor them in other aspects of work as well, right? So we don't have to kind of, um, you know, talk just about security or just about MTTR. You can talk about other things as well, right? And and, and these approaches are very retail, right? These are not like you can't you can't mentor like fifty champions, right? But you've got to find a framework at least for the first few champions, or or, or maybe you have multiple you know, champion organizers or champion uh, in charge of people in charge of running the champions program. Uh, you've got to kind of build that community feeling uh, where people step up for each other. They help each other, even if it's not part of the job program. I think that's great. And I think there's even room for, for metrics in that space, right? Mm. Um, you know, counting people in a meeting is one thing, but just, you know, what's mm. the velocity of the champion Slack channel right now or things like mm. that. Um, I, I think um, could be really telling not just uh, people coming to ask the SSG stuff, but people talking to each other. You know, a security champions program is a program in the end, and it has to be org specific. So, you know, so Kevin and Sandesh can give you a lot of, um, you know, what we call in India, Gyan, uh, which is like wisdom on, on security champions. But in the end, it's an organizational program and it needs to be very closely tied to your org culture, right? I, th- I think that's the part we kind of sometimes ignore. And yeah, I think if you if you do that, I think it's 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 great. And it's a great way to kind of improve security. And I, I'd love to hear more people agree, disagree, add more color to kind of what we've discussed. You may not be able to build a successful champions program right now. You may have to actually go upstream and work on some mm. other dimension. Don't don't be ashamed if if you got to roll static analysis out first or something like that or, yeah. or or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's always kind of in, it's one of the, I think you mentioned in your article, it used to be one of your, your first five questions when talking to people that are building security programs. Um, but it may not be the first five things that people have, that people can tackle. Um, if it is, I think you're in a pretty great culture and, and you're, you're lucky to be there. So um, awesome. Thank you so much. This has been great. It's been also great just catching up with you.
Yeah, no, it's 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 been a very long time since we spoke, and I'm very uh, no. This is a great conversation. I love uh, many of your other episodes as well, and uh, yeah, say hi to Dennis the next time you talk to him. Absolutely, and by the way, there's 15 other things that that so far you've written about that are great. So I think uh, this is definitely going to be some level of uh, of recurring segment with Sandev because you're you're crushing it. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs>